0: IndieCast is presented by UpRox's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we're going to be looking ahead to the fall of 2020 and previewing some of our most anticipated albums of the season. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ian Cohen. Ian,
1: how are you? Well, I, I think every week, uh, I just kind of see like just how grim 2020 is. And my example <laughs> is that earlier in the week, the, the big tweet prompt was, post a picture of yourself from January 2020, uh, where you were unaware of what was to come. Now, I had no pictures of myself at the time. I did have a video of dogleg playing, playing Kawasaki backflip. Uh, opening for glass beach that was cool that being said it just really drove home how the acceleration of nostalgia uh (laughs) it's like man remember january 2020 this that was awesome man we were all like sitting around listening to that destroyer album that came out and um it just makes me realize particularly with this show like if the trend holds We're going to be looking back at this. Like, man, remember September 2020? Those were the good old days. What the heck were we doing looking forward to anything? So that's the kind of state I'm in right now, Steve. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's
0: so (laughs) funny that like January 2020 now is this sort of halcyon age that we all look back to with such nostalgia. Because I feel like at the time, you know, people were just complaining about Donald Trump or, you know, whatever else was going on in the world at that time, uh, But, you know, it's fun to look forward to the fall here and and, and all this music that's going to be coming out. I'm I'm curious, like, you're in San Diego. Do Uh, they actually have autumn in San Diego? Is there any, like, distinction (laughs) to this season?
1: So, we don't really have, like, fall, like, autumn per se with, like, the change of the foliage and so forth or football for that matter since the Chargers left town, but... We do have, like, June gloom and also kind of, like, May gray as well. So those are, like, weather-specific patterns that are uh, are native to San Diego. So we don't get fall, but we kind of get that, like, really wistful time. It just so happens to ha- go on while everyone else is experiencing summer.
0: Okay. So, like... I guess <laughs> so. Instead of it being like seventy-eight, it's like seventy, like four degrees. It's
1: it, yeah, it's like sixty-eight all day oh, and for like five straight weeks, and it's like there's not a, the sun's not out, and maybe one time it rains, and then in the winter there's like two days where it's just like torrential downpours, and everything gets muddy. So I mean, we got to We got a rough out here, man. Yeah. Well, no you time, know, no time to barbecue. Well, actually, that's <laughs> not true. We could barbecue like three hundred. Days of the year. Yeah, I was gonna but, say like
0: I live in Minnesota, and everyone knows what it's like in Minnesota in you know the winter time. We're actually my wife and I are actually talking about buying some heat lamps so that we can hang outside in the winter, and uh, I you know I can grill out more and all that stuff. So yeah, you know, we have to revert to heat lamps just to
1: go outside where I what? live. I just realized why did we not call this podcast "Looking California and Feeling Minnesota"? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's I, I don't know. That's a major missed opportunity. Ah, I, oh well, man! Yeah.
0: That, well, yeah, you know, again, you know, looking at this year, and I, I don't want to dwell too much on this before we get to our fall preview because I'm sure we're going to be talking about this later on uh, this year. But just looking at 2020 overall, I got to say, like. I think this is like a pretty strong year for music. And, and I tend to be a little resistant to making proclamations like that because I really think that every year is a strong year for music if you know where to look. Yeah, uh, and, and there's also always disappointments in a particular year. So you could always make the case that maybe a year is down if you're looking in a bad area. But I don't know. I just feel like for all the terrible things that have happened this year, it seems like there's been like a pretty consistent week in and week out Turnout of like records that are pretty strong I, I, I don't know like how you feel About that I mean do you, do you have any like, kind of General feelings about this year so far
1: I, I think this year has been really Strong for the narrative like There have been a lot of um, You know big time Albums that people have really rallied Upon now as on a personal Note it just seems that even Like when a record comes out And no matter how much I like it, uh, it I tend to It kind of slips my mind like two weeks after it comes out because usually like i talked about this uh with bands who are releasing albums now as compared to 2018 and if you're not touring or if you're not putting out like videos or what have you uh it's really tough to stay in people's minds and uh, even records like i truly love so that's going to be in my top 10 i have to like remind myself to listen to that only because you know like they kind of have to fade away for a second and also because I'm just trying to find new things but I think this year like you're you're right there's no such thing as a bad year but I think there are some years you can look back like 2010 for example or 2012 where it's like that was a year for a lot of big records like a lot of real consensus uh kind of meaty records and um that's definitely been true of 2020 thus far
0: yeah and you know I think you're right in that And this is, I think, just a function of the way the world is now with social media and streaming music that, like, it seems like albums have less of a time in the spotlight. That you have, you know, maybe a week where people are talking about it a lot and it seems front of mind and then it fades away. However, there are a couple records that I feel like. I, I see people bringing up consistently, like the Phoebe Bridgers record, for instance, Punisher, oh, of course, yeah. or like the Waxahachie record saying cloud, I feel like comes up. People seem to be listening to that consistently through the year. So, you know, I, I think you can already see the albums that are going to probably be the uh, you know sort of benchmark records of the year. And then, of course, yeah. there's always the albums that um, are, you know, maybe not as paid attention to in the moment, but then they end up being really huge. Uh, when you look back on the year so you know that's always fun to see how that develops but before we get to that conversation because i'm sure again we're going to be talking a lot about 2020 retrospective things very soon on this podcast let's look ahead to the fall of 2020 we, we're each going to talk about five albums that for the most part we're excited about in some cases they're just albums that we think are going to be notable uh even if maybe we have mixed feelings about them like you or i but uh, why don't you start? What is the first
1: album uh, on your list? All right. So uh, first album on my list is, I mean, if uh, at, at the risk of playing too much to type, it's the new Deftones album, Ohms, which comes out in about four weeks on September 25th. So Deftones mm-hmm. is a band uh, that can... Eight, four years between albums but they're always kind of there i don't think i go more than like three days without like a rank the deftones albums sort of tweet thread going <laughs> on uh, they i mean they haven't gone away since gore which was their last album in 2016 they had the dia de los deftones festival in San Diego of all places like I think that is so indicative of what Deftones are about they have this awesome festival they had like Doja Cat and like Megan The Stallion years before they topped the Billboard charts they had like Hum and Goera and Rocket from the Crypt and they had it in San Diego like at Petco Park this just like really cool thing but with like a really uncool packaging and that's Deftones for you but um you know with this new album um I'm excited about it because They reunited with Terry Date. He's the guy who produced the first four Deftones albums, including Around the Fur and White Pony and also Alice in Chains' Dirt. Um, I got to talk to these guys for this project I'm doing, and I brought up to them this tweet about how they're more influential on indie rock than the Velvet Underground at this point. I mean, they all laughed it off, and they're like, this is absolutely ridiculous. But if you look at, like, every heavy band that tries to play kind of pretty, uh, like on Run For Cover or Triple Crown, there is like no heavy band that doesn't acknowledge the Deftones' influence. And uh, between them and Hum dropping a record this year, I wonder if a lot of those bands kind of wish they held off. That being said, um, this one I'm excited about because uh, Steph Carpenter, he's the guitarist, he was playing an eight string guitar. And if you think, if you look at the video for the title track, he's playing a nine string guitar now. This one is. <laughs> eh, this it, I just get carpal tunnel just looking at it, but this record I'm excited about a because it's a new Deftones record. They've never put out anything that is remotely mediocre, even if I think their game changing days are behind them. But that but what excites me about it is that people who weren't into their last couple thought it was like too spacey, too mellow. Like this one is riffs. Like you will hear all nine strings on this album, and I think the people who These are Deftones fans. Like, oh, when are you going to make a heavy record again? Like, this one's for them. So, uh, always fun to talk about Deftones. This time they have an actual album. Maybe they'll put out Black Stallion, which is their rumored uh, White Pony remix album. So, let's clear the vaults, guys.
0: Well, and I have a feeling that we're going to be talking about that record again when we're reviewing it versus previewing it. So, it's fun to mention that record at this point. I got the promo of this album yesterday, and I listened to about a third of it. So uh i can say that the first third definitely uh, reflects what you just said about the heaviness of the record i'm also talking to chino moreno next week for a story on uprocks.com so just a little preview there for people out there i'm excited to talk to chino uh i talked to him on my previous podcast celebration rock when gore came out uh so yeah i'm sure we'll, we'll be revisiting deftones probably very soon on this podcast i imagine um First album on my list is a record called Apple by a guy named A.G. Cook. That's A period, G period, Cook. That record comes out on September 18th. And uh, if you don't know Cook's work, he's, I think probably more celebrated as a producer at this point in 2020 he's already had a very busy year he uh, was the executive producer of the charlie XEX record how i'm feeling now he i believe has been involved in her last four records uh he's also the executive producer of the upcoming yonzi solo album shiver um but for me like i've been most interested in the music that he's put out himself uh before the record that's going to be coming out in september here he put out this massive release called 7G. It's a 49-song album, uh, which he delineates as being on seven separate discs, which, as a CD fan, I love people <laughs> speaking in the terminology of CDs. And it's important thematically on 7G because each disc has its own theme. And Cook really... he is like a musical polymath. He can go to many different styles of music. There's pop music, there's electronic music, there's even some sort of like throwback sort of indie rock a little bit on on those uh, on that album. And um I have to be frank that I haven't listened much to Apple yet because I've been so busy listening to 7G. I mean there's so much music on that record in a way it kind of reminds me of the Magnetic Fields record 69 Love Songs ah. just in terms of being an expansive record of course it's not quite as big as the Magnetic Fields record um but Cook to me is just one of those artists that uh just a super talented person can really do lots of different things but no matter what he does he's always coming up with like really melodic catchy songs and uh I think along with 7G you know Apple is more of a conventional record much more succinct um I, he, he's just one of those people that's on my list right now where I'm always curious about like what he's going to be doing. I guess I've gone this far. I should also mention that he is, of course, one of the... I think he is the mastermind of PC music, which, of course, has been a very uh, strong force in the field of indie pop for the last several years. So, again, that record's called Apple. It's by A.G. Cook. It comes out t- September
1: 18th. Steve repping for PC music, man. Like, Hey, I man. Mean, he says... He says bop on the last episode and you know all of a sudden like we are seeing the pivot right here um i want to bring up the yeah i want to bring up the fact that ag cooks uh 7g the guitar part of it like it has a cover of blur's beetle bum on there but the important thing to note is that that stuff really sounds like american football um like a shot like shockingly like emo revival type stuff and um i want to like one tweet that was sent uh to me was uh joyce manor saying they asked uh ag cook to do a remix of heart tattoo in 2014 like back when pc music was at its absolute like zenith of uh internet hype and uh ag turned him down so uh <laughs> i hope that i hope those two finally get to meet up man
0: yeah i mean maybe that's like a recent uh thing that he's into you know the, the sort of email thing like in 2014 joyce manner might have been one year out the other but you know maybe he's just digging american football lately and uh
1: yeah, who isn't?
0: It's fall, man. Exactly.
1: <laughs> what's What's next? So, Steve, as much as I'm like excited about music that's coming out like at the fall of 2020, I'm I'm just a fan of the game. I'm a fan of the narrative, so to speak. Uh, I like a good internet day, and uh, I'm gonna bring up a couple albums, which to me, like, I'm I don't know how excited about them, like for what the content is, but just for what content it might produce. So. I think we have to bring up uh, Lana Del Rey's album, Chemtrails Over the Country Club. It was supposed to come out, I think, on next Friday. Uh, It has been obviously delayed. But what I'm interested to see is that um, I think every now and again, you get this consensus beloved record where there's this like bubbling sense that not everyone's being heard, particularly the people who aren't like totally into it. I saw that with Arcade Fire's Reflector. I saw that with Chance the Rapper's coloring book where people who weren't quite into it just kind of kept their mouths shut. Um, and I think maybe that's sort of the case with Norman fucking Rockwell. I mean, it's a. I think it really played the role of 2019's album of the year really, really well. Um, I think she's an artist that's always going to be kind of both like really underrated and really overrated at the same time. But that being said, I think the backlash is probably going to come but what I really love about what she's doing is that she's leaning right into it by releasing a poetry book and <laughs> maybe just putting out like a quick record with an album title like "Chemtrails Over the Country Club. I'm interested just to see if there's any residual uh, backlash from the last album, but also just to see where she goes from this point. Because um, in a lot of ways, Norman fucking Rockwell was the culmination of the 2010s and just interesting to see, like, where how she pivots into this new decade um, that she kind of predicted throughout her past work.
0: Yeah. The se- I mean, it's interesting uh, to me, like, with uh, Lana Del Rey, because you, know, you mentioned Chance the Rapper and Arcade Fire. I think the difference with Lana Del Rey is that, like, those artists had a honeymoon period where critics... Really loved them, and then you know there was this sort of exhaustion that set in that I think also coincided with them putting out like kind of lousy albums. Well, where, yeah, of course, <laughs> but, but, but like with LDR, I mean, she's always had backlashes throughout her career, so True. you know I don't know if there is necessarily going to be a backlash with her. I I do think with Norman Fucking Rockwell that there was a theme in a lot of the reviews of that record where I think some critics felt like they had to sort of almost correct the historical record it was almost like Absolutely. responding to critics back in i guess what, what was that 2012 or so when when born and yeah. i came out and it was like saying no you were wrong she was always a genius and and this record is sort of the you know the, the confirmation of that um and uh, yeah i think you're right in that there were probably people that weren't as into that album as you know some of the very sort of gushing reviews that that record got i'll say personally that um i mean i've 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 always liked lana del rey for the most part you know uh you know i remember being sort of mixed on born to die but then like you know when she started putting out the records after that she really kind of showed that she was like a really great songwriter in a lot of ways and had like a really well-developed kind of fascinating persona and again i mean she gets compared to father john misty a lot i think like him she is like a genuinely interesting larger than life star in the indie world where there aren't a lot of people like that and that's what's so appealing to about that for her but yeah i mean not only did she put out the poetry book but she also kind of went out of her way to like uh like, bite the hand that feeds her in terms of critics. Like, like she kind oh, of went after yeah, critics <laughs> a lot. <Yeah. laughs> like, uh, which I understand from her perspective. I You know, because, I mean, she's been beaten up a lot over the years by critics. And so now that critics love her, I could see her just saying, like, well, I, I didn't need you back then. Why do I need you now? I, yeah. I'm not going to suck up to you now just because you're writing nice things about me. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. A if that record is as good as norman Fucking rockwell and b if like critics are going to be as receptive to
1: it as they were uh yeah it's just it's just a stimulus package for the narrative you know like every now (laughs) and we 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 kind of need that as like you know critics who have seen their freelance budgets really slashed uh it, it it just she really helps out the people you know a good person for the economy yeah exactly uh all right. So and the second part of it um, is uh, so one of the best tweets of music criticism I've seen uh, since Riley Walker made fun of uh, King Cruel uh, is this um, this individual named Ivan. His uh, their uh, Twitter handle is Joanna New Sum 41 spelled as it sounds. And they said the uh, this band Idols is basically punk music for people who say you sir won the internet in 2013. <laughs> and this th- this band like they are so fascinating to me because they're they they're a bunch of guys making loud raucous rock music with a political angle. So people are like, dude, man, are you into Idols? Like this is a band in real life that people always ask me. It's like, dude, man, like what do you think about Idols? And I I just can't because um their last album joy is a form of resistance it's it, it sort of makes me think of all the people who said that donald trump was going to be great for punk music in 2017 and if there's any they have a new album called Ultramano coming out uh on september 25th i'm looking forward to it just to see what people write about it because the last album you know it had themes of being against uh, you know they were pro-immigration they were against toxic masculinity which I mean if you have to learn that from an idol's record so be it but um, it it just makes me think of like when I look back on 2017 to 2020 uh, the kind of resistance humor like where people are like John Oliver eviscerates Donald Trump like all these things that you know, seem really impactful in the moment. It's like, this is not going to make a lick of difference, dude. Um, And, you know, if there's among the many reasons I'm hoping for a Joe Biden victory is that maybe this style of uh, humor or music or posting might go away for a while. That being said, I'm just, I I said that being settled. I don't know what's up with me today. Um, But with this record, I'm just interested in seeing like whether people still are relying on idols to be, the voice of conscience in rock music. So, um, yeah, if nothing else, I'm just interested to see how easily critics are suckered by a narrative.
0: Yeah, you know, I can't say that I have a strong opinion one way or the other about Idols. I've listened to them. I think it's fine. They remind me of that newish band F- uh, Fontaine's DC. I don't know if you've listened oh, to that band. Yeah, where it's yeah. the same sort of like, it's like that European punk that, I feel like music
1: critics like, but I don't really see making an impact outside of those circles. Oh, Maybe not, I'm wrong. no way, dude. no way, man! That that there is so much of a in real life imprint with these bands. Like you go to a pop show, you'll see Idol shirts. You go to a Joyce Manor show, you'll see Idol shirts. They have an enormous in real life footprint. All Same right. with Fontaine's DC. Well. That I stand
0: corrected, but I don't know. It's like, I don't dislike it, but it doesn't really make a strong impression on me uh, musically. I always feel like these bands are, uh, you know, they get an A for effort and A for sort of like their politics and and their attitude. But like the music to me is always sort of like B minus. And to
1: me, it it just kind of gets people who... Like, it it just directly speaks to, like, the 35-year-old who, like, kind of skipped over rock music for a little while. And it's like, oh, yeah, rock is back, man, because it sounds like, you know, British (laughs) post-punk.
0: Right. And Yeah, I feel like I'll get Twitter messages sometimes about, like, like, why isn't Idols the biggest band in the world? And I'm like, well, (laughs) I think it's pretty self-evident, like, why they're not. And again, nothing against them. It's just, you know, we are long past the point where the pop world would even give the society but, has progressed yeah. past the need for idols, <laughs> right? Well, anyway, okay, so let's go, let's get out of backlash corner here and get back to albums that we're excited about. Yeah, I am excited about the new Sufi Stevens album, The Ascension, that comes out September 25th. And, you know, it's interesting with with Stevens because I feel like, in a way, he's been as prolific as ever in the past few years. Of course, he wrote the Oscar-nominated song for Call Me By Your Name, performed on the Oscars, even. He also put out that, like, weird, like, New Age record. Is it, like, Aporia, I think it's pronounced? Uh, that it was a collaboration with his stepfather, uh, Lowell Brams that came out earlier this year, which is a record that I... I know I've heard, but I can't really remember much of it. So, but anyway. It definitely exists. It definitely <laughs> exists. Um, but I feel like for a lot of people, like the last like real Sufjan Stevens record was Carrie and Lowell, which came out in 2015. Um, so I think that's going to really sort of increase the anticipation for The Ascension since this seems to be, I guess, a proper Sufjan Stevens album. Um, but based yeah. on like what he's previewed so far, and I should say for the record, I have not heard this record yet, although I, I think I finally did get a promo of this again yesterday. Yesterday was a big promo day for me. Uh, so I'm excited to dig into it. But <laughs> but based on what you know, he's previewed so far, I'm thinking of that 12-minute single, America. Um, I guess I'm holding out hope that this will be in the vein of his 2010 record, The Age of Odds, which is an album that I, I've actually really gotten into this year. I remember like for the longest time, I was a little resistant to that album. I, I really couldn't get into it. I, I'd have to say Sufjan Stevens in general, to me, has always been a little hit or miss. Um, but The Age of Oz is a record I've really gotten into. Just just sort of crazy, insane, very dense, abrasive type record. And I tend to prefer Stevens working in that mode to the more sort of, like, I guess, orchestral mode that he was in when he made Illinois' his most celebrated record. Um, I like it when he gets like a little noisy and gritty and a little more out there. So I guess I'm holding, out hope that The Ascension is in a way a sequel, maybe in some ways to The Age of Odds. Uh, but either way, you know, Sufjan Stevens definitely like one of the great artists of indie rock of the last 20 years or so. Uh, so I think anytime he puts out an album, if you're into indie music, you have to
1: pay attention. Yeah, I think Age of Odds is a record that um, I turn to pretty frequently if only because it's not as overexposed like don't get me wrong i love illinois that is a landmark record of my uh mid-20s but between that and Carrie and Lowell, like those two are like acknowledged as classics so age of odds you can kind of go there's more to kind of explore there also because it is extremely dense and uh you know impossible soul is 25 minutes so there's always more that you can get out of that record um this one uh, I'm kind of nonplussed by the singles, but then again, I think that's always been the case. I'll I just want to be able to absorb it as a whole. But the what the issue I I, I guess I'm anticipating is that, like I said before, like there's so little time to really absorb and think about an album that I'm just concerned that if I don't it doesn't immediately click with me, I might move on to something else and it won't sink in the way Illinois or Michigan or Age of Odds had in the past. So. Um, I don't know, maybe that's the sort of record like with last week we'll have to revisit like four months after it comes out.
0: Yeah, I think that Sufjan Stevens is an exception to the rule in the in, in the instance that I I think people know at this point that his records often require a little bit of, you know, absorption level. I guess Carrie and Lowell was like a pretty direct record that you could yeah. hear once and you know what it was about and it hit pretty strong. But again, like like I said, age of odds. I was listening to it 10 years later and i felt like oh i'm discovering new things in this record you know and, and so knowing that i am going to be more inclined that if i don't get the ascension maybe immediately that uh, i'm going to know like well if i revisit this a month or two later i'm probably going to find something new in it mm. like a lot of albums are not worth revisiting you know like <laughs> just because they're not good or there's not that much going on but i think Sufyan stevens makes records that you feel like you can revisit and find new things yeah i mean
1: uh, i i do think the you know we we kind of owe him that trust (laughs) so uh yeah i'm I'm looking forward to it but i'm also just as usual concerned about like whether i can you know a lot of the time that's necessary for it so um moving on to our next one right uh touche amore so uh this is one of like this is one of my favorite bands. They are um probably like the best if not the like uh, among the elite of hardcore. Um and they've you know they haven't put out a record since 2016 Stage 4 um which was about Jeremy Ball, the lead singer his uh, mother dying of stage 4 cancer it was also their fourth album and Uh, they've done some side projects. They've kind of like laid low for a bit. And now they come out with this new record called Lament, which is out in on October 9th. And a lot of this record ironically is about what it's like to interact with fans who expect a lot out of you because you've made a very powerful hardcore record about your mom dying. the thing that interests me the most with this besides the fact that two, like every touche amore album is a classic like to the beat of a dead horse is survived by stage four they just keep upping the ante without getting corny which is really really difficult for a hardcore band to do this one is produced by ross robinson now if you're not familiar with the guy himself you probably know uh the bands he produced ross robinson's kind of like the phil specter of new metal uh, he did a lot of the Corn albums, At the Drive-Ins, Relationship of Command, Suppletora's Roots, um, that one Cure album where they tried to go new metal in 2004. And so that that part is exciting to me as well. But it's not that you know, Touche Amore has gone new metal. As a matter of fact, they've kind of gone in just like kind of a more mainstream rock direction with this one. The first single, uh, Limelight, is about being kind of a washed up emo guy. <laughs> Uh, it obviously hit me in a pretty vulnerable spot. It featured Andy Hull of Manchester Orchestra, who I really hope is putting out a new record in the near future. Uh, it has pedal steel on it. And um, they actually had a list of influences of songs that uh, they were listening to when they made this record. And it had REM's, "Where the How the West Was Won and Where It Got Us. I believe it had the traveling willberries on it it also had uh there's a lyric on this album about how uh, counting crows round here isn't quote almost perfect song oh man uh there's an, speaking the my language song, here yeah there's an and the last song talks about how uh he's still really into the Cohen brothers Oh um, dude. and yeah, the, it, if you look at the influences list on this album, it is basically like indie cast porn. Yeah, dude.
0: It, 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 I want to invite him
1: to come it, over for a beer, man. Let's, hang, let's do a socially <laughs> distanced
0: hang in the backyard, yeah. man.
1: And and they're real about it. I mean, they're, they when, I, when I've seen him out at shows, he has, um, I believe it's like a big Leonard Cohen Songs of Love and Hate patch on his uh, jacket. So, I mean, I always get worried when hardcore bands inevitably do their Leonard Cohen thing because then that means they start to move away from their strengths. But with this album, it's just a band that somehow keeps getting better and better and more accessible. But Jeremy Balm still sings like he did on the first album. So I don't think it's going to be the sort of thing that uh, becomes a a massive hit amongst the critical community. It's just going to People who are already into this band are just going to lose their minds over it. Yeah, I don't it, but...
0: I don't feel like referencing Counting Crows is like the way into most music critics' hearts. But it is <laughs> a way to get into the hearts of indie cast, so I'm appreciative of that. And I've not heard this record yet, but I've always liked this band. And I'll, I'll just say, too, that for people out there who maybe don't listen to hardcore bands, Touche Amore, I would say, is a band that is able to take that framework and do something really interesting with it. Like, they're not just doing this sort of straight-ahead, hardcore thing. As Ian has suggested by describing the new record, they are bringing other influences into the fold that I think make the band a little bit more palatable for people who maybe don't normally listen to that kind of music. So definitely put that record on your radar. I think it's going to be really great. Uh, The the next record on my list is an album that I know that we're both excited about. It's called Live Forever. By a guy named Bartie Strange. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like in the sort of punk emo corner of the world that Ian so much spends so much time in, <laughs> this might be like the most anticipated album of the year, or or at least like one of the most anticipated albums of of, of the fall season. Uh, for those who don't know, Strange is a uh, Washington D.C. based singer songwriter who I first heard about earlier this year when he put out an EP called Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy, which was a five-song collection of reimagined tunes by The National. Uh, so, of course, I was going to be on board with that. Uh, Live Forever, however, is his first LP, the first album of original songs that he's putting out. And um, I feel like we're going to talk about this probably in another episode in the future, so I don't want to review the album too much, but... Um, I wrote a fall preview for uproxx.com this week, and I described this album as sort of having like, you know, if, if there was like a mood board for this record, I would say that there's like Death Cab for Cutie over here. There's a, like a little bit of like a Frank Ocean thing going on, and maybe even like, you know, a little bit of like the Killers in there, you know, added for for, <laughs> for good measure. It's a record that I you could definitely hear the emo influences on it, but he's also bringing in like some really cool sort of R and B flourishes and. I I would say overall, the record has like a real sort of anthemic, fist pumping quality to it. Uh, It's a record that really appeals to the head as well as the heart type album. And I'll leave it at that because, you know, again, I think we're going to talk about this later on. But yeah, Yeah. definitely put this record on your radar. I I would definitely say that in terms of like debut albums, this is one of the ones to really look out for in 2020. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this guy's the the real deal. He was also uh, used to be in a band called Stay Inside that we talked about on our sleeper albums ah. uh, list from last year. So yeah, when he was in Brooklyn. But um, yeah, the the goodbye, say goodbye to Pretty Boy. I love that album because it took took national songs that I already loved and it kind of made it sound like foxing. Uh, <laughs> right. He's kind of in he's kind of in that realm. But I mean, this record it's it's just the real deal uh, as far as like it's. You know, it's subject matter, it's range of influences. Like it's really hard to, you know, evoke Death Cab for Cutie and Frank Ocean without sounding like really corny or like trying too hard. But uh, this one, the, if you if you do follow in, like Steve said, the punk emo corner of the world, like this one, is, people are just like really pulling for this guy. It's it, To me, it's just a slam dunk. So we are definitely going to talk about this one later.
0: So, yeah, we'll hold off most of our praise for later on. But, yeah, just put that on your radar for the, for now.
1: Yeah. So the next one I want to talk about. So uh, this one, it's a 20-year-old Filipino-British artist called Biba Dubi. Um, I have no trouble saying that name because, I mean, just look at some of the other bands I love. <laughs> um, like I have said Guitar Fight from Cooley Fooley out loud. So I have no no platform to find fault with people's names but anyway so uh this is an artist most people might know from her guest vocals on uh deathbed by an artist called pow fu it's a tick it's a big it's a big song on tiktok i think it has something along the lines of 650 million spotify plays jesus um i mean this is the new this is the world in which we live but um she also um, is on the 1975's Dirty Hit label, which is a really interesting uh, collection of artists because you know, Matty Healy makes it very clear that he doesn't want, like, he, when with this label, he's signing, like, basically not white male bands like his own. Um, and I think a lot of the bands on this label have the spirit of the 1975 and that, like, all. Like, all music is equally on the table. Like, Rina Sawayama, like, did a little bit of new metal on her new album. You have, like, Japanese House, which is kind of going more for, like, an 80s synth pop sort of thing. And, th- it, I mean, if you want to feel really old, um, I read that she was first inspired by Kimya Dawson on the Juno soundtrack to make music. And what excites me about this album, I mean, I like her songs, but it's it's kind of a combination of I see an artist like this and I feel really super old. Like there's this entire world of like TikTok music and Zoomer stuff that I just cannot process at all. And yet she also has a song called I Wish I Was Stephen Malkmus. And you listen to the singles from her upcoming album, Fake It Flowers, which is out in October. And um, it, it, it makes me think that I'm either like uh, this might be the one like Zoomer album that I can actually like kind of relate to or I can actually process because so much of it is taken from a 90s kind of alt-rock sort of sound like particularly like late 90s alt-rock and I think what this album might prove this is kind of this has been something that's circling in my head a bit but I think if we look back on the last five years I think that Soccer Mommy's Clean might be the most, if not influential album, indie rock, uh, indie rock album of the last five years, at least the one that kind of showed the direction in which we're going. Because now you hear like late 90s Sheryl Crow, uh, New Radicals, like late Baruch Assault as kind of being like primary colors for Zoomer music. And um, look, I've heard a lot of like really uh, mediocre <laughs> uh, facsimiles of uh, Clean. But, you know, with this one, I think it might take things a little bit in a more, oh, like, um, extroverted direction. Um, I have no idea what to expect from this record. I imagine it'll be uh, it'll be very, very popular. But, I don't know, maybe it's just, like, a window into a younger generation of, like, what... Because uh, influences change. I mean, t- 10 years ago, we wouldn't be talking about, like, Deftones as being this, like, super accepted influence. And now, uh, with this one, uh, maybe we'll start to see, like... It's like oh yeah, Sheryl Crow, of course. Yeah, you know? I just
0: love that. Like Tuesday Night Music Club is now this like hugely hip touchstone reference for so many people. And by the way, I, I would actually I love that I would record. Actually say soak
1: up, soak up the sun. I think is the more uh, is like the hipper uh, Sheryl Crow reference.
0: I don't nowadays. know. I mean, I just feel like I hear so much like
1: strong enough.
0: And people, or, or or like that second like Cheryl Crow Oh yeah, the self title, the self title one. Like if it makes you happy, everyone.
1: There was a time where everyone was covering "If It Makes You Happy," and which they should. That's an incredible song. <laughs> that, I was. I heard the world is a beautiful place. Cover it, man. Like I mean, that's how that's how deep it went. I I and I never got sick of
0: uh, hearing covers of that song. It's an incredible song. Uh, so I, I'm not familiar with that record, but I'm excited to check it out the way you're describing it, it sounds like it'd be up my alley So I'll be digging into that after this episode next album on my list is called Silver Ladders by an artist named Mary Lattimore Now you may know Mary if you are a fan of recent records by people like Kurt Vile and Thurston Moore She has lent her talents to albums by those artists and it's interesting with her because you might have thought that like Joanna Newsom had the market cornered on like harp playing in indie rock music. But I am happy to say that there is now a new harpist in town. We can now say that if you say an indie rock harpist, you can't just assume it's Joanna Newsom. You might also be talking about Mary Lattimore. Um, on her own record, she tends to make these albums that are I think pretty soundscape Um, You know, again, I hate to keep comparing her to Joanna Newsom, but you know, like with, with, with Newsom, they're very proggy, very dense. There's like lots of different movements to them. There's obviously the freak folk and influence. Whereas with Mary Lattimore, her records can veer a little bit in th- into that direction, but there's almost like this sort of like ambient feel to it that's also emerging like with classical music influences and art pop influences, as well as the sort of indie rock milieu that she's working in. Uh, but you know, as much as she adds like this. I think really unique flavor to other people's albums as uh, as a guest musician. Her her own albums I think really kind of speak for themselves as well. And silver ladders, which I haven't heard the whole record yet, I'm very excited to hear it. But like what I've heard so far is really intriguing and really beautiful. There was a single that she put out. Uh, this summer called Sometimes He's In My Dreams uh, which you know. again like I hate when people keep doing this and I've done this myself and things I've written where you want to link every new song you hear to like the mood of the times or like how strange things are but this definitely is the kind of record that like you put on headphones and it maybe makes more sense right now than it would in a different kind of period like it, it definitely evokes a sort of disquieting yet calming headspace uh, so I'm very excited to hear this record again. It's called silver Letters. It comes out October 9th. I'm guessing that this is not Ian Cohen music at all. Uh,
1: but uh, not, not true, man. I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed, uh, her past work. I've not like really dove in, like I'll hear a song and I'm like, Oh, I should really check that out. But then, uh, like you said, it's a little more ambient soundscapey and it kind of escapes me. I think the real lesson from this discussion is that we totally need a third harpist, man. Like we we need someone else to we, we just need more people playing harp so we have different comparative points. <laughs>
0: exactly. More it, more it,
1: harp. Ma- players. It makes me th- it makes it makes me think of like uh, when I remember back in the day I read this interview with John Popper of Blues Traveler and like no one had any frame of reference to compare his harmonica playing, so people said he sounded like Bob Dylan and he he just found that to be so insulting. Because you know, like Bob Dylan, just like plays kind of huffing on it, and whereas uh, John Popper was a uh, like a maestro of it. So more, please, it, it's we actually priced a harp recently. It costs about five hundred dollars to get the cheapest one. Instead of getting a, a jazz master or like a Telly, get yourself a harp, man. I mean, it's it, you. You might be on this podcast. I just
0: can't believe that you worked in a John Popper ref. Into this episode, I guess, cause he's blowing harp. You could say he was blowing harp. Oh instead yeah. Of playing harp. There you go. But I just love that. We <laughs> you know, again, reference counting crows in another episode. Like I feel like counting crows comes up in every episode and now we're, you know, bringing
1: up blues traveler, uh, you know, part of the collective on un- the collective unconscious, Steve. <laughs> that's where, that's really what we're plumbing into here. What's
0: our next album.
1: All right. So this is in this, this album, it's kind of a, a grouping. Um, I feel as if I'm a little bit inauthentic with this episode because the albums that I'm probably going to love or the ones that I'm looking forward to either haven't really been announced yet or are just going to, like, come out of nowhere, particularly if we're talking about the punk and emo world. They aren't usually privy to, like, three-month rollouts. Um, But there are a couple albums I just want to kind of mention real quickly. Uh, Golfer. a Toronto a a, a Montreal band uh, on Top Shelf their new album is I'm really excited about it like get to know a band called Record Setter they're from Denton Texas uh kind of a screamo band that was kind of popping up in the reddit uh backslash emo world their new album whenever it comes out it's probably like top 10 for me and that's what what happens with all these bands is that you know, the album exists and then they're just probably waiting around for a label to sign them or something like that. They're like, yeah, we're just trying to figure out the label release and maybe we'll drop it around Halloween or something like that. For to follow these bands is, you know, frustrating and exciting because uh, they, you, you never know if they're actually going to put out a record or break up or just kind of fade away for lack of interest. But um, those, and also a band called Nice. Three Eyes, period, at the end for Minnesota. Stoked for that one as well. Um, the one I want to talk about specifically, though, has Been Announced, and it just earlier this week is a band called Respire. Uh, they are, how would I describe this, maybe orchestral screamo or orchestral black metal from uh, Canada. And to, to understand this band, I think we kind of have to talk about Sunbather. We didn't really get into this album that much in our 2013 episode, but... Uh, Deaf Heaven Sunbather is, I think, maybe the last metal album that will have uh, that will be talked about as like one of the pr- premier albums of its year. I mean, I can't think of really too many metal albums that have taken center stage in the indie world like that one. Uh, and what it did was it combined black metal with shoegaze and post rock in a way that was super accessible. Now, as much of a game changer as that record was, it was also really easy to copy. Um, and so when you hear a band with like black metal howls, but like really spacey guitars, it's kind of hard to impress anyone anymore. Uh, but in the past couple of years, I see that there, are, uh, there's this group of bands that includes respire infant Island, who put out one of my favorite, two of my favorite records this year and Nouvelle Oscura, who are taking things in more of an expansive or like literally orchestral direction and respires 2018 album. They um, that 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 got a lot of hype in metal circles because they're like we're not talking about like orchestral figuratively they're actual like oboes and bassoons and strings and this album comes out in November they just released the first single uh earlier this week and it's pretty much like metal and also godspeed you black emperor at the same time it's bigger it sounds fuller um if you like metal that can take you places Uh, this is one I would highly recommend you pay attention to. And I think just the kind of nature of heavy music, whether it's been just an incredible year for Screamo, hardcore, uh, metal, uh, all variants of heavy music. The problem is, like I was saying with Def Heaven, it never takes center stage. So pay attention to this one because it will probably come out in November and like I'll flip over it. Uh, Tom Bryan, at Stereo Stereocom probably will as well. Yeah, and maybe like the t- and maybe the two other big metal like people who follow follow metal like there's going to be a handful of people who flip over it, but it is sort of niche.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I, Not, and I feel like that's by design a lot of the times. I I think the difference with yeah. Sunbather was that it was a record that was reaching out to people who don't listen to that kind of music. Where I, as I feel like uh, I, you know if you're talking about the screamo world, hardcore world, the metal world. The bands there tend to cater to people that already like that kind of music. So it's instead of maybe like really kind of pushing the ball forward in a way, it's about reiterating things that the genre does really well, which if you're in that world, it's great cuz you're always going to find bands that you really like and like aren't going to be doing the crossover thing. Like even you said before like you get a little wary if there's hardcore bands that are sort of venturing outside their lane too far. It it, it it kind of becomes a drag if you're really in that scene but like for anyone yeah. who's outside of it if people aren't venturing outside of it it can just be hard to see be like well what's what distinguishes this from any other record like this you know and, and that tends to be like my question with a lot of these bands like you know that i can recognize that it's good for what it is but i also feel like i've heard like a million bands that sound like this and it could just be hard To really kind of find an entry point that like makes it sound different, you know, or is going to make you excited in a way that like all the other records that are in this vein, you know, maybe haven't made you excited in the past. So, but I'm going to take your word for it. I, that record that you described there, I think that sounds pretty cool. Again, that record, um. You just respire, yeah, respire. You just like listed like a million records. I feel like in that like five minute stretch, <laughs> for, I hope people are writing They're down. They're all great. They're all great. <laughs> um, the last record we're going to talk about is by an old favorite. I think for both of us, I feel like you know we've 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 talked about a lot of emerging artists in this podcast. I have to give a shout out to a legacy artist at the end, and that's Matt Berninger of the National. He's putting out his first solo record, Serpentine Prison. on October 16th I laugh a little bit because I just feel like that's such a Matt Berninger album title I feel like if there was like a Matt Berninger bot it would have come up with Serpentine Prison I say that as a compliment of course I mean I think that to be you know a songwriter who has an established aesthetic I I think that's what every songwriter eventually wants to be able to have where people know your artistic voice and and, you know you can even be parodied because you you know you you have your own (laughs) voice but um Again, this is the first solo record that he's put out. He did put out a record, of course, with Alvi, that uh, synth-pop duo, uh, Return to the Moon, uh, came out in 2015. I feel like that record wasn't really well-received. I happen to enjoy that record for what it is. I think he was actually pretty funny on that record. But Serpentine Prison does feel like a different sort of record for him. He was He's working with the uh, the great musician and soul great booker t jones of course he was the leader of the great band booker t and the mgs and i feel like we're going to be talking about this record this is another instance where i feel like we're going to be probably reviewing this at some point so i don't want to talk too much about my feelings about this album yet but i will say that if you got into the national because some algorithm pointed you to them from like nick cave or leonard cohen then this is probably going to be an album that you really get into because he's really leaning into that sort of like Boatman's Call type vibe, you know, where it's a smooth, cool, middle-aged guy purring, crooning, you know, being very cool, singing these like very evocative, beautiful songs, um, which – is a vibe that I think is very much in tune with the season that this record is coming out. in. if this album was dropping in the summer, I think people might have a hard time with it, but coming out in the middle of October when, you know, those of us who don't live in San Diego are going to be huddling under blankets and getting cozy, hopefully with another person, um, you know, maybe with a nice bottle of wine, this is going to be a record that I think people of that elk are going to be <laughs> embracing. I, f- I feel like I'm hearing you make like sort of like d- uh, dismissive sounds over there on the other. End. Yeah, it's like, look, you can't just listen to weightlifting music all the time, Ian. Sometimes you have to listen to like snuggle <laughs> under a blanket music. And I feel like this Matt Berger record uh, is going to be that. So again, it's called Serpentine Prison, October 16th.
1: I'm excited about that record. Me, look, man, I think it's worth pointing out that two of the artists that we've covered thus far, like Barty Strange, he covered an entire EP of national songs and Touche Amore, I believe, covered Available uh, back on uh, a single in maybe 2012 or whatever. But to me, it's like, Matt, I hate to but I feel like he's been the least interesting part of the national for quite some time. and. I feel like there's kind of a path of least resistance in kind of going towards the Nick Cave, like Leonard Cohen sort of thing. Like, let me, I've made my thoughts clear about what I like to call Peaky Blinders core, where it's that kind of like dark, croony, middle-aged, romantic crooner sort of thing. Uh, look, man, do you, Matt Berninger? Uh, but You're not, he's not, I don't he's, know. he's
0: not leveling up. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I, he's not going to level up. Is uh, that He's that producing rippers. No. What, it's, it's, what, this what, record what, doesn't I'm, rip enough?
1: What? I don't know. Just wanna I, I feel like, in in a way, that first single was kind of Matt Berninger like bot. Uh, maybe I just need to like let the entirety of the album like get immersed in that. But it's kind of veering close to parody at this point to me. Um, I don't want to feel bad for liking the national. Um, I love them. Don't get me wrong, but I think that in, in a way, it's like you know Matt Berninger is playing the role of Matt Berninger rather than like I, I don't know. But I, I, it, but like
0: okay, you couldn't you say that about like the Deftones then? Like what are they doing on their new record that like they haven't been doing for like over twenty years? You know, I I just feel like if you are around for a long time you have your voice and you have the thing that you do. And uh, to say that you're lapsing into parody, I don't think that's necessarily a fair thing unless the idea is that having an artistic voice or having a personality is automatically bad. You know, I I just feel like that's such a music critic thing to say because music critics were addicted to novelty, you know? And like, and if you aren't constantly doing like a novelty thing, novelty in the sense of like, you know, oh i I've been there done that, you know, do something different or it's not valid anymore. um, I feel like there is something to be said that if if you have something you do and you do it well,
1: I think well, that's my valid argument is that my argument is that I'm not sure if he does it well anymore, okay, well, we'll see. <laughs>
0: All right. So we've reached the part of the show where Ian and I like to recommend something that we're into right now. We call it Recommendation Corner. Ian, what do you recommend this week?
1: All right. So um, I, I, was, I, I was informed over Twitter that uh, 24-Hour Party People was available on Amazon Prime for free. And so I haven't seen that in a long time. For those uh, who need a refresher, it's a 2002 movie starring Steve Coogan, kind of a Not a mockumentary because there are actors in it, but it's based on a true story of Factory Uh, Records—the story of them rising through the late '70s and '90s, uh, legendary label that was home to Joy Division, New Order, uh, a couple of lesser bands—and it kind of ends at the Happy Mondays and Madchester. Um, What they don't mention is how, like, kind of grunge and alternative sort of killed it, and also their shady business practices. But. To see a movie like this in 2020, it's not like debaucherous in the way like, uh, you know, Motley Crue's The Dirt is. But there's still like a lot of drugs, a lot of uh, weird financial things like, you know, New Orders, Blue Monday, like lost money because the label invested all their uh, money into a club uh, that was losing money because everyone was doing ecstasy and not drinking alcohol. Um, but watching this movie, not only do I feel nostalgic about you know the 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 music itself, all of which is you know for the most part incredible. Uh, I kind of like I wish like man, I would have liked to have been a raver. <laughs> I mean, not really, not a raver, but just someone around uh, you know in the early '90s in England because like Manchester, that combination of like dance music but also like psychedelic rock is still one of the most promising nodes of. You know indie throughout, uh, you know the past several decades, and if any band even remotely touches on it, like Screamadelica Delica or the first or the third Happy Mondays album, Thrills and Pills and Belly Aches, I'm gonna listen. Um, the Happy Mondays, by the way, you, I think you just need to watch that movie just to see them uh, record a failed album in Barbados where uh, they they brought like they brought four weeks of heroin and it got destroyed in the airport. Right. Um, but you know, listening like watching this, I'm like, how can I like really justify listening to a bunch of like dudes in Philly with dad hats singing about anxiety? You know, (laughs) it's like, man, it's like God, man. It's like, uh, it's like how how can I how can I really go with music this earnest and like kind and and loving when there's the Happy Mondays out there? You
0: know. Now, I just want to say that I'm pretty sure. You heard about this because I tweeted about it. Because I watched this movie. I I also watched this movie last weekend.
1: I watched it back in like 2004, back when Dance Punk was becoming a thing. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, I saw it back then too. But I'm just saying that like I tweeted about it because it just left Amazon Prime. It was like, I think uh, August 31st was the last. So I was saying like, you should watch this movie because I I, I noticed that I was about to leave. So I was like, oh, I haven't seen this movie in years. And I rewatched it. And I think you could still... uh, Someone told me that there's like other... Subscription services where uh, you can uh, watch it for free, like not Netflix, but like one of those, like like uh, you know, like there's Quibi or uh, not Quibi, but there's other (laughs) there's uh, yeah there's like you can watch 15 minutes of it. It's not Quibi. (laughs) There's like other streaming services that are sort of like down market that like have movies that like I think you have to watch commercials every now and then to see them online. But yeah. I also just really loved rewatching this movie and it did send me down a rabbit hole of listening to factory, uh, listening to Factory Records bands uh not so much Happy Mondays although I do like Happy Mondays and I will say too they that like fast. if you're looking for Happy Mondays dirt the Chris France book from Talking Heads, his book, Remain in Love. Oh, they, yeah. Cause,
1: There's a lot cause of they yes, recorded. Uh, they recorded that album, Yes yeah, Please. Yeah, they did Yes Please, which
0: was like the most infamous record, uh, uh, you know, where Sean Ryder was like, again, like he was, um, he was a heroin addict and they couldn't get heroin down there. So then he started smoking crack.
1: Like in, I think they were in Jamaica and, sell, and selling Eddie Grant's, uh, who did Electric Avenue. They sold his furniture, right?
0: But I, but <laughs> I've actually been listening a lot to New Order the, the past week, yeah. just because uh, I've always loved that band, but I've never really dug deep into their albums. I've always just listened to their hits, basically. That that yeah. sort of essential greatest hits album that they have called Substance is like such a mm-hmm. just essential collection of eighties, you know, sort of synth rock music. But you know, digging into albums in particular, like. Brotherhood, I think, is a really great record, and of course, you know, Power, Corruption, and Lies—that's a classic album from '83. Uh, so, yeah, it, that movie's great, and it's a great portal into so many just wonderful bands that Factory Records was involved in. Um, the uh, recommendation I'm going to make uh, this week, and I—it's going to sound like I'm trolling Ian after our Matt Berninger blowout before, but uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the new record by Bill Callahan, Gold Record. Um, Bill Callahan, of course you may know him from Smog. he's been putting out records for nearly 30 years I think that he is like one of the great living singer songwriters certainly in indie music uh, of that time and you know there was a period where he didn't put out a record for a while it was like a five year gap between actually I think it was a six year gap between Dream River in yeah. 2013 and then he put out a record called Shepherd in a Sheepskin Vest that came out in 2019 that was a double record and you might have thought like oh he's putting out an album with 20 songs. It's going to be a while before he puts out a new album. But here he is again with another record uh, one year later. A, a much shorter record. It's only 10 songs. Um, but I would say that for me, this is a record that that probably speaks more to me than to you. Because I am, uh, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I have kids. And this record really speaks to that. You know, I I, I have a review of this album that, that came out today where I liken the ambience of this album to like sitting in a house at night and hearing the sounds of people sleeping all around you, the, the people that you love most in the world. Like that, that kind of ambience, that kind of quiet, still, but contented type feeling. And uh, I think that record really has this. It also reminds me a lot of the songs of John Prine which I think is a kind of a new development in a way for Bill Callahan, where he's really great at writing these sort of like miniature stories about average people going through like a mundane life, but then something extraordinary happens in the course of the song that maybe you don't quite expect. Like there's a song on there called the Mackenzies" that I really love where it's just about him hanging out with his neighbors all day long. And it's a really funny song. And then it kind of takes a tragic turn at the end that is 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 a gut punch, uh, to, to some degree, but Bill Callahan to me, he's like one of the most consistent artists in indie music. Um, I can't really think of like a bad record that he's made. He's certainly made albums that are better than others. Um, but gold record to me, you know, again, I think in this time where there's so much chaos and, and craziness, <laughs> the stillness of this record um, and the gentleness of it and the kindness of it uh, is, it's so great. Like, it's just a great place to spend 40 or 45 minutes of your time. So, again, I'm sorry. I am again leaning into the croonery, middle aged, I get, what'd you call it? Peaky blinders, binders type
1: rock or whatever? No, well, no. Uh,
0: Bill Callahan's not peaky blinders. Well, because he's, ama- like, he's American. Blinders. He's American. He's
1: yeah, yeah. He's more
0: of like in a Willie Nelson vein, I feel like, at this point. Like, you...
1: yeah, I-, I like Bill Callahan. I mean, I, I like, you know i i particularly loved uh I, sometimes i wish we were an eagle and apocalypse and um you know i'll listen to this record and, and, and in a way like i i'm not bored by him just i get sometimes kind of bored by artists who are subject to like universal acclaim uh and so i mean i'll, I'll listen to this um <laughs> excited uh i'll do it you know i'll do it for 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 the discourse lo- man because above all else but i love the know. grudging surrender in your voice right now
0: there's just like this grudging <laughs> like all right fine i'll listen to another great album by bill callahan he twists my arm <sighs> it's great uh this has been another episode of It's always fun to talk about music with you ian i look forward to doing it again next week And until then yes. Thank you for joining us on the show, and we'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends in our next episode next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. Thank you. Peace.